Welcome to the Beyond 3D podcast, where we explore all things 3D and the important role that 3D data plays throughout the manufacturing process, driving decisions throughout a product's life cycle. Here, we talk with industry analysts, business owners, developers, and industry influencers, and hear real stories that you can relate to and learn from, and know which trends and technologies apply to your business. So join us as we go Beyond 3D. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Beyond 3D. My name is Angela Simos, and we are here with a special guest, Tommy Gessler, who is a developer advocate for Zoom Video Communications, who was also named one of the industry's most influential developer advocates. So we're really happy to have you here with us today, Tommy. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Angela. And we have Gavin Bridgman, who is the CTO of TechSoft 3D. So welcome, Gavin. Thank you, Angela. Happy to be here. To get started, Tommy, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and your story and how you became a developer advocate? Sure. So uh, growing up, I always loved building things, especially Legos. And then I got into Minecraft, which are basically, you know, virtual Legos. And then all of my friends wanted to be able to play Minecraft together. And in the, in the early days, you couldn't do that easily. So I figured out how to uh, make a server so we could all play together. And then that got me into coding because it was coding the server. So then I was like, wow, what can you code? What can you not code? So I started learning how to code and building websites and games and other things. And then going to high school, I went to a college prep high school. And on the first day, they told us 99% of you will go to the most prestigious universities, you know, and get master's degrees. And 1% of you will go and play major league baseball. Uh, drafted right out of high school. So I was like, okay, this is interesting. Where do I fit in this gap? At the time I played baseball, but I didn't see myself going to the to the majors. So um, I continued no pressure my love. or anything. Yeah, <laughs> right. I continued my love for uh, computers. I took all the computer classes and the programming classes that Regis offered. And then uh, here comes senior year and I haven't done any college applications yet in my college counselor calls me into her office. She's like, Tommy, you've been avoiding me. Why, why haven't we talked about what college you're going to this and that? And then I dropped the bomb. I said, I'm actually not going to college. I'm going to pursue coding. So um, instead of going to college, I did a uh, six month coding school called Galvanize uh, mm -hmm. here in Denver. And uh, in six months became a full stack software developer uh, instead of going to college for four years. And my counselor actually uh, approved. She, <laughs> she didn't kick me out. She um, uh, she was very happy and excited that there was this you know new path that was emerging. Um, so I did that like a month after I graduated high school. Started galvanize. I realized there's going to be no more summer breaks. There's going to be you know no more <laughs> vacations. It's going to be you know a sprint from here on out. Mm -hmm. And then finished galvanize strong within a month of finishing galvanize. I was 19 years old. I uh, got a full-time software development job with a startup as employee three at a company called Apostrophe. Worked there for two and a half years. Also got to go through the Techstars Boulder Accelerator program uh, with them. And Techstars Boulder is basically startup school, one of the best startup schools, kind of like Y Combinator. Uh, so I got to go to you know coding school and startup school instead of college. So I got a pretty good education, I'd say. <laughs> uh, and then um, was recruited to to join Zoom as a developer advocate. 
So that's my kind of past 10 years and it's been a, a fun ride so far. So I just want to say, I think it's amazing that you had the confidence to move forward with your decision. Like I'm not going to college and I'm going to do this coding thing because it's uh, I think most, most kids would sort of follow the pressures of <laughs> you right. know teachers and parents. So kudos to you. That's really great. And so, Thanks. you know, you gave the example of how you created a server for your friends to play Minecraft at first. And that, so I can imagine that's what got you part of what got you excited, but why was coding so appealing to you? Basically the, the thought of taking any idea I can think of or any, you know, startup idea, app idea, game idea, and being able to bring it to life and have it live on the internet, have it live in, in an app store and have anyone in the world use it. Mm-hmm. Um, that just was amazing to me. So I wanted to be able to uh, have the skills to do that. Very cool. Yeah, it is um, being able to have a global impact at such a young age is <laughs> a very right. cool thing. And so now you're at Zoom and what are you focusing on and what is your role as a developer advocate? Yep. So um, Zoom has a suite of APIs and SDKs. We allow developers and companies to use Zoom, video, chat, phone, to integrate with their products and their websites. So say uh, you're a healthcare company and you want to have telehealth meetings with your patients. Instead of building a whole video platform, which would cost you know a ton of money, a ton of time, having to maintain it and scale it. Um, You could just put Zoom video in your app with a few lines of code and it's practically free. So the job of a developer advocate is to make that whole integration process as easy as possible, whether that be with developer support, documentation, speaking and promoting uh, our APIs, building sample apps, and then um, NPM packages, and such to just make it a seamless uh, process. Very cool. So you work with developers all over the world then. So folks yes, that are looking to integrate that's, and as you are working with these developers globally, do you get a chance to see kind of what's happening in software development overall? And what would be some of the most exciting things you've seen lately? I think the, the coolest thing I've seen is, the access to information and opportunities that weren't available before. Mm-hmm. For example, stock trading you used to have, you know, to have a stock broker to make trades. Not everyone could do it, but now you can download an app for free and, um, you know, invest for free. There's, you can learn anything for free. Um, you can learn how to code for free. Mm-hmm. And then relative to Zoom, I'm seeing all the cool ways you can integrate our APIs and any APIs. Every application nowadays talks to almost every other type of application you could think of, whether that be a communications platform to e-commerce to, you know, education, healthcare. So seeing that world become more accessible is amazing. Yeah, and we, we see a lot of that also with, with TechSoft. And Gavin, you had some thoughts on this too about where software is going. Yeah, like I think there's a lot of, of, of stuff that's going on. I, like I think one part that's really interesting and Tommy kind of touched upon it is, you know, what are becoming the set of foundational tools that you can do use to build an application? You know, uh, Tommy was talking about Zoom being a platform that people are building solutions on top of. 
But I think that's one really interesting part when we look at software development in general is the tools that are available to you that really make your job a lot easier. If you look at you know some of the kind of interesting things that are coming along at a very low level, you have what Apple and, and Google are doing with their iOS and Android platforms with augmented reality SDKs, extremely powerful software solutions that are using hardware built into the mobile device and solving some of the hardest problems of augmented reality. Or if you look at Electron, an application that allows you to take a kind of web technology stack and, and build a desktop application. Slack is built on it and made them very easy to go from a ostensibly a web application and make a desktop application on it. And then you kind of go into the realm of you know, what these platforms are doing. You know, uh, Tommy's talking about Zoom as a, as a platform, but you can also look at AWS and Azure, which previously were just computing up, up on the cloud. Now you're starting to see Azure has a very powerful IoT component to it. So I think that, that's one part that's really interesting today. And you're kind of starting to see, you know, software developers are, are really people who plug things together. And you're seeing a lot of people who are, who are software developers, they are actually not classically solving hard problems. They're generally plugging things together. So I think that's one part that's really interesting and exciting. I think that's given the reason why you have a lot of people coming into the software world that suddenly it's not as intimidating and you have a lot of these component technologies that are solving the foundational problems. I think another, right. another area that's really interesting is all around machine learning and what that's enabling you to do. And, and you know, infinite computing starts, you know, computers are good at answering very binary questions multiplying big numbers, you know, essentially they're massive logic uh, gates that you need a yes or a no at the end. And, and machine learning is what that's resulting in is, is some more the fuzzy problems um, allowing us to solve some of the more fuzzy problems. And it's, you know, essentially building up di digital uh, intuition. And so there, that as an area, as a core computer scientist, that's another really, really interesting area. So there's a lot of stuff that's making software development easier with these components, but also some of the hardest problems still have to be solved. And, and machine learning is still is, is starting to be really interesting technology that's going to enable us to solve some of those uh, harder problems. Yeah, great points, Gavin. So, you, you know, you made an interesting point, Gavin, about, you know, how more people are getting into software development and, and essentially that the role of the software developer has changed over time. Can you expand a little bit about on that? And, and Tommy, I'd love to hear your thoughts as well, uh, you know, about how the role has changed. And also, you know, we, Techstuff, we work a lot with manufacturing companies, um, companies in architecture, engineering, construction. They may or may not have an internal software development team. So how do you see sort of that uh, evolving as well, where you have companies that are wanting to create an AR, VR application or wanting to create a mobile app or wanting to create an IOT app. And so with, there's, I guess the question, do you have an internal team do it? Do you have an external team do it? And then with the role of software developers changing, how has that made things easier or harder for companies to make that decision? Yeah, I can make an initial run. I'd be interested in Tommy's opinions. Like, I think one thing that's really interesting 
you know, if you look back 20, 30 years ago, most people who were writing software were computer scientists and they were solving, you know, it was difficult to write software 20, mm -hmm. 30 years ago. There's still a lot of hard problems in computer science. And if you think of something like natural language recognition, even all these you know, problems around language and even augmented reality and the image processing that needs to go, there are still computer scientists solving some really hard problems. But the bulk of people today who are writing software are not computer scientists. They're more these computer architects. And really, you can get a scalable database off the shelf. You can buy one. Some, some Oracle will, will gladly sell you one. Or there's, there's open source relational database that you can get for free. So these tools go hand in hand with people being able to outsource things. Uh, because if you have tools, then they're documented and it's not such a scary proposition and to be opening your, you know, having a software development team in whether it be Eastern Europe or Asia or India and um, where they're using standard set of tool set and plugging, joining these things together. So I think this, um, this tool set has really made it a lot easier for companies to, to outsource, outsource uh, software development. Mm -hmm. I agree. And so let's talk about AR VR specifically for a little bit, um, because I know you're, that's an area that you focus on, Tommy, correct? Um, and then yeah. TechSoft, we also have uh, some toolkits that enable people to bring in CAD data directly into AR VR applications. So Tommy, talk a little bit about some of the work you're doing there. And then I would love to have the two of you talk about what are some of the challenges and when it comes mm -hmm. to AR VR applications, where do you see things going in the next year? couple of years, that sort of thing. Right. So at Zoom, we have virtual backgrounds and Gavin and I are using them right now. And we just released virtual video backgrounds. And this all happens without a green screen. So as I'm moving around, it's using computer vision and augmented reality to understand where my face is and then where to like show the photo and where then to show my face and not showing the background at all. So I think that is just fascinating that that's possible, especially being in a meeting with people around the world and having the meeting work flawlessly. Mm -hmm. And there's so many fun things you can do with that. It's such a hard, you know, thing to develop, you could say, but there's, it just makes it the meeting experience much more fun. And then the part I'm working on are the, the SDKs and supporting and helping developers use our SDKs. So um, basically, any idea you have with video, I mean, it's really up to the developer. We want to give you the tools to be able to accomplish that, whether that's AR, whether that's having meetings in VR. It's all possible using um, our SDKs and using the existing core Zoom functionality. And then they do their secret sauce, they add us, and then boom, there's a really cool application. And then uh, a fun, some fun words from our CEO, Eric Yuan. He says that the vision for Zoom in 2035 is to be able to, to speak, you know, in a certain language. And then the people <laughs> on the meeting that don't understand that language, it's the language is translated on the fly and then you hear it. Not like reading a transcript, but you're actually hearing the person speak your native language. And then also to have an environment where we can shake hands through a meeting or hug through a meeting or, you know, share a cup of coffee. So we'll, we'll see, uh, we'll see if we get there and that's going to take a lot of smart people to figure that out. 
Gavin. Right. Yeah, Thoughts? no, I yeah, I think it's <laughs> it, you know this augmented reality uh, technology. We're we're obviously in the engineering world where you know there's this interesting trend that's been going on, which is IoT essentially. You know, so people have these digital assets that they invest a lot of energy into. They are really you know the exact model that gets manufactured, but Historically, it stayed in the engineering department. So once you finished the design process, essentially that was the end of the use of that model. What you're starting to find now, that model is very useful if you want to do work instructions, for example, for repairing something, or if you want to monitor things live. So what I'll get to augmented reality, but the Internet of Things and IoT sensors have been allowing you to essentially connect the physical world to the digital assets. And in the engineering world, you have something called the, the digital twin. And all that means is that the digital model is being augmented by physical data through you know, IoT. So this, for example, might be you know, the position of a robot on a factory floor. Mm-hmm. Um, it could be you know, the number of units a particular uh, machine is creating. IoT can feed all that information up to the digital model, so you start really seeing virtually what's happening in the physical world. The part that augmented reality is really interesting is augmented reality allows you to take those digital assets and put them back into the physical world. And Tommy, phase one of where we are with augmented reality today is some of the problems that Tommy was talking about. For example, putting a live video stream into kind of an augmentment with digital content. And, you know, if you look at Pokemon Go, that was kind of like mm-hmm. a, about, you, you know, you essentially putting a digital asset into the, into the live video world. Where AR hasn't taken off in the engineering world is what people want to do is walk into a building. And let's say that data through IoT is connected to the actual digital model. But that doesn't even need to be case. You have a, a digital asset of a building. You want to walk in. You want to see which way, where the uh, structural supports are and look through the walls well right now with augmented reality that there's an alignment problem that needs to be solved that has Mm -hmm. still not been solved yet so in that augmented reality once they solve that um, alignment issue and that's what the AR kit and the AR core are Mm -hmm. trying to do I really believe you're going to see this explosion of the value of, of, of augmented reality and I think it's going to be driven by the engineering world because you're suddenly going to be able to go in and with your mobile phone essentially have an x-ray view of your building and right. if there's IOT data there you're going to be able to see real information around what's happening to that object yeah. and if something is broken you're going to be able to you know, essentially get work instructions put directly in front of your eyes of how that thing will be repaired. So the augmented reality stuff is really, really exciting in the engineering world. And because we've had this huge investment in the digital assets, that's mainly been driven from pre-manufacturing. You know, it's easier to design digitally. Um, it's, it's easier to do some you know, wind flow analysis on a digital model. And there's this new area in which these digital assets will be able to get used in the real world once augmented reality kind of gets to that next level. So it's really exciting stuff. So what do you think is going to be harder engineering-wise, the hardware part or the software part? So like the x-ray camera that can take in and, you know, the, the video or the software that processes it and then displays, you know, the augmented part? I think it's going to be the first part. It's that alignment problem. They, they're going to have the digital model already, and then you're going to walk in and through a combination of the 
the GPS information that gives you a rough approximation of where you are. They then need to do kind of image recognition within the room and start saying, oh, here's where our up is, here's where our down is, here's what the plane is. And then they've got to fit that 3D model to that scene. So I think at that early stage, once they have all the alignment stuff done, then displaying it will be fine. Because you're seeing that already with the display when you see, you know, Pokemon Go or these kind of things. Or, you know, if you look at some of these... 3D models that they're displaying in augmented reality, they're pretty substantial. So what do you, first, I'm wondering if you're comfortable making any sort of prediction, Gavin, on when you think the alignment will, will happen. Is that good? Will we see that happen in the next year, three years, five years, and you then know, the they, explosion? You hear these big comments by Tim Cook saying that augmented reality is going to be as impactful as, as the iPhone was. And they talk about that in the next five years. So I think they've got to solve it in the next five years. If you, if you look now on your iPhone, they have a, a digital measuring tool, which works quite well. And that's kind of start getting into that area because there's a scaling issue that needs to be figured out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and they've started doing that. So I would say in the next five years. That's certainly what the HoloLens, if you kind of hear, read behind the covers. In, in the augmented reality world, a lot of people think about HoloLens, but really the, the stuff that's driving that space right now is, is Apple and you know, the, the phones are. Um, but if you look at what HoloLens talk about, they talk about professional use case scenarios and, and the manufacturing one is, is one of the key ones. So I think in the next five years. That sounds reasonable. I mean, things uh, progress so rapidly anyway, right? It, it could be sooner, but five years is a safe bet. You mentioned you know, the AR kit and you know, the AR core so let's talk just a, a couple of minutes about SDKs in general uh, in our last few minutes of the podcast. So Tommy, I know that in your work, you're actually you know, helping to create APIs for other developers to use, but is there, are there APIs or SDKs that you use in your work as well? I'd say FinTech APIs are, okay. you can't live without them. For example, we have a feature where you can um, set up a Zoom webinar and then integrate with PayPal uh, to make the webinar, you know, a paid webinar. And that wouldn't be possible without the PayPal API. And um, in Stripe is also a leader in that fintech API space, making it, you know, a few lines of code, and then you can accept payments on any platform, um, web, native. Um, so that's that's amazing to me. And then even something as simple as embedding a YouTube video. Hmm. If you were just to put that video file on your website and then throw it up, it wouldn't have good performance. It wouldn't have good scalability. It would cost a ton of money. But having that video live in YouTube and having their uh, streaming technology and then simply embedding a few lines of code in your app and having the video run perfectly is amazing to me. And um, every developer can benefit from SDKs and APIs because it saves them time, it saves them money, it saves them headache and uh, you know all the, the maintenance that goes with doing something hard like that. And I'm curious, this isn't something that we talked about before, but um, because it makes things easier and faster, have you ever come across developers that have tried to get into a new area of development, maybe something that they hadn't studied or worked on before, but because they have access to SDKs and other tools, they were able to get up and running sooner? Or, you know, maybe if you don't know anybody that's done that, is 
Do you think that's something that's that's doable? You know, I'm just curious, you know, so developers aren't stuck doing one thing, right? Right. I mean, I think it expands a developer's tool set to kind of be able to implement the language of APIs because then there's nothing they can't do. So say you're a freelance developer and a client comes to you and says, hey, I want to build a website that I have uh, videos behind a login um, and then you have to pay a subscription monthly fee. If the developer just did that coding out of the box, it would take a year mm. or mm. more. But they could use um, you know, Auth0 to handle login. They could use YouTube for the videos. And then they could use Stripe for the payments. So it gives it makes developers more powerful and more valuable and expands their offering by them just knowing how to make a few API requests. Gavin, have you experienced that with any of uh, TechSoft partners where, you know, they maybe had a specialty, they focused in one area, but then started to adopt uh, SDKs to expand? Yeah, like I would say it's it's the dominant way in which things are done in engineering software. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, components have been widely in use in this space for many, many years. And it started with... Um, you know, some of the mathematical engines that are used within these CAD systems are very complicated pieces of software. And early on, there were some tools, uh, libraries out there that did it. So Parasolid was one of the early ones. Asus was another one. Open Cascade was an open source one. So from early on, there's been a, you know, a widespread use of, of tools. So um, you know, really, when we look at... Like you look at people in the engineering software market, you might be an expert at fluid simulation. And so you do an amazing job of of, uh, um, making sure that people optimize turbine blade design. Well, in order to do turbine blade design, you need to be able to read in that Mm. turbine in the first place. You need to be able to display it. You need to do some mathematical querying of the surfaces. And there's all tools out to solve those problems. So a lot of these, you know, they're very much uh, specialists and they naturally, I think a specialist naturally goes and looks for tools that solve these other, other areas. So I would say in the, in the engineering space, it's, it's, the, it's the norm rather than the exception for people to be using tools. Got it. Makes sense. Well, gentlemen, we have reached our time. And so I think this has been a really interesting, uh, great conversation. Hopefully our listeners have enjoyed it as well. Tommy, thank you for your time. Really enjoyed having you on the podcast. Thanks. It was a blast. And uh, Gavin, thank you. Thank you. My pleasure. And uh, for those of you who have not subscribed to Beyond 3D, please hit that subscribe button and share it with your fellow tech colleagues and anyone you think would be interested in this topic. And until next time, everybody, have a wonderful day. See ya. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on the Beyond 3D podcast, hosted by TechSoft3D. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes and leave us a review, or subscribe on SoundCloud. To listen to past episodes or learn more about TechSoft3D, visit www.techsoft3d.com forward slash blog. Send us comments and suggestions at info at techsoft3d.com. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again on the next episode of Beyond 3D.